0: Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on a believer's boat ride. Today I want to talk about a believer's boat ride. A believer's boat ride. I just want to lay out the joys of a believer's boat ride. Look, anybody ever seen this? Throw that little logo up, will you? Anybody ever seen this on somebody's bumper sticker or something? I'd rather be sailing. You know? And so just keep that in your mind today. You guys can keep that up like between scriptures and everything. I'd rather be sailing. Just daydreaming about sailing. And so just keep that in your mind. I'd rather be sailing. I'd rather be on a believer's boat ride. Just keep that as your goal and your vision today. If you turn to 27. Acts 27. Acts 27. While you're turning there, we're going to start in verse 8, but the preceding chapters in Acts are walking through Paul's um, persecution journey, prison journey. Uh, the, The high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had all gathered together to kill Paul. They wanted to kill Paul. And so we see I mean by the time you get to chapter 27 this has already been like a pretty rough few chapters that have been expanded over years. Okay? So these these religious leaders brought Paul to Roman leaders. Okay? Just like they did Jesus. Right? And they wanted these Roman leaders to do their... My, actually let me back up. <laughs> The Pharisees and the religious leaders were actually trying to kill Paul themselves. Okay? I forgot that part. And actually the Romans actually came in and rescued Paul. Wow. Okay? The Romans actually came in and rescued Paul. And uh, so Paul stands before these different Roman leaders. There's one named Felix. There's one named Festus. It's not like we're like watching gun smoke or something, right? An old western. So, Paul stands before all these Roman leaders, and like this crazy stuff happens. Like, they don't know what to do with Paul. Like, they don't know what to. Like, they say he's innocent, right? But like, I don't want to be the guy who turns him loose because the Jews will be upset, right? But I don't want to be the guy who persecutes him, kills him. You know, Paul was a Roman um, citizen—that's the word I was looking for. I was getting ready to say centurion, you know, because I just try. La, 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 la. Roman citizen. So I mean, you can't be the guy that kills another Roman, a Roman citizen, right? Just because Jews tell you to. So they're like debating. They don't want to be the guy who does it, you know. And so, to me, I've read this story before. I've heard this story before. And so I've always seen that, like, Paul went through different leaders, and then he also went to the king, Agrippa, right? He went through all these leaders, but what I did not really pick up on before is, like, I don't remember which one it was, Felix or Festus or Fiona, you know, no, I'm just kidding. But I I don't remember which one it was, or if it was all of them, I don't remember all the different time frames, but one of them, like, said, I'm just going to wait till someone else comes in charge. And so, Paul, this is not like, hey, we're going to put your trial off till next week. Come on. Paul stayed there two years. Yeah. I don't know what to do with you, Paul. We're just going to put you in jail because you're not guilty. And I can't be the guy who punishes you, but I'm just going to put you in jail. For two years, that was their generosity like not persecuting him, right? And so Paul's been through this thing where he's going through all these different leaders and very much so persecuted and unjustly detained, right? And so here we are. Paul is eventually, he he calls out and says, I want audience with Caesar, okay? Okay. And so the emperor, and so they're like, okay, whoa, we can't do anything else now. He's like invoked his right to have a trial before the emperor, right? And so they end up, okay, that finally puts all this to bed. We have to send him to Rome to be seen by Caesar. He's, he's claimed that. He's, he's invoked his right to be seen by Caesar. So they're sending Paul to Rome. Okay, so Paul's on a boat, going to Rome. And so there's some little things that are happening before verse 8. But let's just pick up in verse 8. Remember Paul is a prisoner entrusted to a centurion to take him, you know, like a, uh, like a U.S. Marshal. Okay? And this U.S. Marshal is responsible for transporting him to Rome. Let me just say, pause, time out. Emma Cornelius. How old is Emma? Ten. 10. Is she still in here? She stepped out, went to the restroom. Shoot, bad timing on my part. <laughs> Miss Emma Cornelius, 10 years old, um, came up to me during worship, said, Pastor Michael, I just heard the Lord say that we're literally, literally going to raise the roof on this place one day. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Your young men and your young women will prophesy. I love that. Came to me and said, Pastor Michael, I just heard the Lord say we are literally, literally twice going to raise the roof on this place one day. So we received that word, Emma, and thank you for releasing that to us today. So let's pick up in verse 8. Hugging the coast, we struggled on to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. We remained there a long time until we passed the day of the Jewish fast. Paul advised the frightened sailors that they should not put out to sea in such dangerous weather. Okay, so they already had these struggles, so they decided to stop an anchor until after the Jewish feast. Now what you don't know why that correlates is it's kind of like Florida, where you guys are from. It's kind of like Florida, you know there's hurricane season. And so in this time frame, the Jewish feast was the end of that kind of weather season, and so it was historically up until that time was the really bad weather, and so people would think, okay, now we've broken the bad weather time, you know it's what? What does it end in Florida like November or something? you're kind of coming out of the hurricane season or whatever, and so we're coming out of that, and so um, so they're ready to move forward. but Paul advised the frightened sailors that they should not put out to sea. In such dangerous weather, saying, Men, I can see that our voyage would be disastrous for us and bring great loss, not only to our ship and cargo, but also to our own lives. We should remain here. So Paul says, Guys, if we take this voyage right now, It's going to be disastrous, not only to our ship, not only to our cargo, but to our lives, guys. We're going to die if we go out here right now, okay? But the officer in charge was persuaded more by the ship's helmsman and captain than he was by Paul. Who wouldn't be, right? The captain and all of the... um, I don't... Helmsman, you know, what's, what's a better word now? What's a modern word for that? Shipmates. Pirates. The crew. <laughs> the crew. The captain and his crew. There you go. I like that. Whoever did that, you get a bonus. Throw him a blow pop. All right? Children's ministry. Throw blow pop. Bam! There you go. Good job. So they were more convinced by the captain and his crew than he was by the prisoner. Duh, right? So the majority decided to put out to sea, since Fairhaven was an exposed harbor and not suitable to winter in. Like, we can't stay here because it's too dangerous, right? This isn't a place that we can stay and dock our boat for the winter, so let's go find a place where we can dock our boat. They hoped to somehow reach the Cretan port of Phinica which was a more suitable port because it was facing south. When a gentle south breeze began to blow they assumed they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to Crete. But it wasn't long before the weather abruptly worsened and a storm of hurricane force called Nor'easter tore across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors weren't able to turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it be driven by the gale winds. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Calda, we were barely able to get the ship's lifeboat under control. So the crew hoisted the dinghy aboard. The sailors used ropes and cables to undergird the ship, fearing they would run aground on the shoals of Syrtis. They lowered the drag anchor to slow its speed and let the ship be driven along. The next day, because of being battered severely by the storm, the sailors jettisoned the cargo. You know what that means? what does jettison mean? Throw it over, right? Throw it over. And by the third day they even threw the ship's tackle and rigging overboard. Now we don't even have a way to catch any food, right? And so they threw even the tackle and rigging overboard. After many days of seeing neither the sun nor stars, that's a bad storm, You don't see the sun during the day. You don't see the stars at night. All you see is black cloud storm day and night. You guys have been in storms like that. I feel like we've been in one since Tuesday until we got a little break the last couple days, right? All hope of ever getting through it alive was abandoned. What was Paul's word? Paul's word, if we go... It's going to destroy our ship, our cargo, and even our lives. And the people get to a place where they realize there's no hope. We're going to die. What Paul said was true. All the prophetic people in the room, let's throw a party. Right? I told you so. Now you're going to die, sucker. Woo-hoo. I'm right. Yeah, you are laughing, but how real is it? How many times have you told somebody the truth and almost hoped it came about so that you weren't wrong? After being without food for a long time, Paul stepped before them all and said, men, You should have obeyed me and avoided all this pain and suffering by not leaving Crete. He should have left it right there, right? Boom. Y'all should have obeyed me. Now, this is what you get. I'm taking the dinghy, and I'm going for myself. It's not what he said. Now, listen to me. Don't be depressed, for no one will perish. Only the ship will be lost. For God's angel visited me last night, the angel of my God, the God I passionately serve. He came and stood in front of me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You're destined to stand trial before Caesar. And because of God's favor on you, he has given you the lives of everyone who is sailing with you. So men, keep your courage. I know that God will protect you just as he's told me he would. But we must run aground on some island to be saved. We need to tell the truth. We need to tell people the bridge is out. We need to tell people the wages of sin is death. We need to tell people that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And the path that you're on leads to destruction. We need to tell people that. And while we're telling them that, we need to be praying that God would be merciful. And we need to be praying that even though this is true and I'm going to tell them the truth, I'm going to believe with everything in me that God is going to intervene and even the words that I'm saying are going to be not done. Y'all with me? Y'all didn't like that? Didn't feel that? I said one time, matter of fact, and I've been so guilty of this so many times in my life. Just when you talk about telling the truth, if you if you tell the truth, go back to the out kicking your covers. Those of you that don't follow football, that means nothing to you what I'm saying. But the point of this is if you if it says you out punted your coverage, that means you kicked the ball so far and so fast that the people that were going down there to tackle the people that are catching the ball and trying to run it don't have time to get down there. That's outkicking, right, Stephen? Ain't that right? That's outkicking. Stephen was a wedge buster, I think. You know, they'd make a wedge and he'd just bust it, right? So outkicking your coverage means you're, you're hurting yourself. I mean, it's like you're, it's amazing. I mean, you kicked the ball super far, but you kicked it super fast, and it actually wasn't the best thing for the team. But you're a superstar, but it wasn't the best thing for the team, some of our prophetic words are superstar prophetic words, but they're not the best thing for the team. Sometimes our truth outkicks the mercy of God. Sometimes we want to run around and kick the truth real hard and real fast, and we leave people that they're not bathed by the grace of God. Ephesians four twenty nine says, Let your words be seasoned with grace, that they'd be edification to the hearer. That's even the truth. The truth don't need to get there until the grace of God is bathing there. So don't outkick your coverage with your prophetic word, running around saying everything you think, saying every opinion that you have. And here's a good way to not do that. Don't tell somebody the truth Don't highlight the error of somebody's ways unless God has allowed you to see them walking in truth and freedom from that error. Get a redemptive, without vision, people perish. Without vision, we kill people with our words. But if we can get a vision, the Amplified Version says a redemptive revelation of God. If we can get a redemptive revelation of God in the lives of the broken, and if we'll let our words be seasoned with grace, and we'll say those words, and we'll see them whole, we'll say them in a way that helps them get whole and not drives them further into their brokenness. I was just telling somebody the other day, you know, I've had to have some harsh leaders in my life. <laughs> I know some people from New Hope here, you know. I, and now he's not harsh, but he had to be harsh. Tom Sturman's, as Padre Rick says, he was a hammer and a chisel in the hand of the Lord. And his main goal was to knock the mess off of me and try to let the diamond come out. That's what I needed. That's what I had. You know, men, we talked about last Father's Day, let iron sharpen iron. We need to swing our sword against somebody who can swing their sword at us. Sometimes, many times, I forget that not everybody needs a sword swung at them. Don't everybody want the truth and don't everybody want it hard? You know what I mean? Ain't everybody just like me and they got to have their brains knocked in to finally get it? No. They don't. (laughs) And if that's the only approach you have I wish you'd be quiet. Nobody like that. <laughs> if that's the only approach I got, I wish I'd be quiet. We need to have a redemptive revelation of where they are, and 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 to come back and to say, "You're gonna be all right." That should be where we find our real passion and fulfillment. Not in telling people they're wrong. The real joy of being a mouthpiece for God are when we get to release his mercy. He said, mercy triumphs over judgment. I prefer mercy over sacrifice. Don't go around sacrificing people. Go around extending mercy to people. Let our words be seasoned with grace. It should break our heart to tell, have to tell the truth and to tell somebody, oh, I think what the path you're on is going to lead to destruction. And it should make us come alive to be able to say, but I see you turning away. I see God moving in your life. I see the gold that's inside of you. I'm 100% convinced That you're gonna be okay. You're gonna turn around, and I'm gonna be here through it all to walk with you in that. Paul was not afraid to come back and say, Hey, scratch that, guys. Woohoo, yes, guys. God has changed his mind. God has been merciful. We're not gonna die. Isn't that awesome? You should have done what I said, but you didn't. But who cares? Because God loves us. Right? Where are your condemners? They all left. Well, neither do I condemn you then. Let's live. Let's live. Let's live. Can we tell people, let's live? The wages of sin is death. But you know what? God is merciful, and he overcame death, hell, and the grave, and he's given us a free gift of salvation. (laughs) Let's live. Let's don't sit around and talk about the judgment and the death and the destruction and the error. Let's talk about the life and the grace and the mercy and the joy and the peace that he has given us. (laughs) That's what it's like if you get on a boat with a believer. Yeah. The people that are on your boat, the people that are in your life should say, man, I love being on the boat with them. Well, bless y'all. people need to know the truth. If everybody around you hates being on your boat because all you do is condemn them all the time, you're not going to have much influence and you're not going to be a very good mouthpiece for the kingdom. just going to say it. People hate Joel H. Osteen so bad. He's too positive. He's too positive. Listen, there's an old country song that says, I ain't never had too much fun. There's never been a bearer of the gospel that's too positive. The gospel message in itself cannot be out positive. Maybe that's why Joel Osteen was put on the earth. Maybe everybody has different assignments. Maybe he is an encourager. Maybe he's not the one that's supposed to nitpick everybody and everything. Maybe he's the encourager that tries to pick people up after some of us that think we always got to swing our sword at everybody and we cut them down. Maybe, thank God, he sent somebody like Joel Osteen that would tell them that's not what all the kingdom is about. Some of us are talking about the promises of God and the gifts of God and the blessings of God. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't be afraid because of that hateful leader, come on and follow the Lord. Maybe. So he told him, "I know that y'all will protect you just as He told me he would, but we must run aground on some island and be saved." on the 14th night of being tossed about the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors since they were approaching land what did Paul just say? okay guys it's okay, we're gonna live we're just gonna crash into an island and we're gonna lose the ship but we're gonna live right? Paul's getting a little little taste of Jesus' life, right? I told you this. You didn't believe it. It happened. Then I told you this. You didn't believe it. Then it happened. So they sensed that they're approaching land, so they took soundings and discovered that the water was about 120 feet deep. After sailing a short distance, they again took soundings and found it was 90 feet deep. Check this out. Guys, we're going to live, but, we're, it, but you tell people, okay, look, you're going to die. The path you're on leads to destruction. You come back, I'm so sorry. I've delivered that truth without a redemptive revelation of the kingdom. The Lord has rebuked me, and I know that he's got his hand on your life. And I'm sorry for not telling you that you're going to be everything he created you to be. I'm sorry for not telling you that I see gold in you. I see favor on you. I see you being... Oh, I just remembered Cool Runnings. I see... (laughs) Don't go there in your mind. All right. Uh, I I keep referencing movies. uh, Never mind. I ain't going to say that one. Oh, shoot. Has anybody ever seen Nacho Libre? When the trainer is with Rameses before he fights Nacho, in the last big fight, and they're rubbing baby oil on him. Anybody seen that part? Anybody remember that part? And he says, Ramesses' legs are number one. Just completely monotone, right? And every, he's just sitting there, just reciting all that stuff. The trainer to Ramesses. Who's, who knows what I'm talking about? Terrible rabbit trail, because nobody even knows what I'm talking about. It would be so fun if more of you knew what I was talking about. He says it's so monotone. He's like, Ramesses' arms are number one. Ramesses' legs are number one. Ramesses' feet are number one. He's telling about this. So last week or the week before, Jahan was just making some declarations up here. But she ended each declaration like, you guys are healed in Jesus' name. You guys are free in Jesus' name. And she was just saying it all like that. And I just remembered that scene. You know, it's like... You guys this. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Is it? In Jesus' name. Anyways. Okay. About to crash, wasn't we? I think we did. <laughs> I think we did crash. I think we're in the water already. <laughs> Doggy pedaling. Anyway. So he tells him, okay, so look, I'm sorry, God is going to be merciful. Doesn't that always work? No matter how you deliver the message, sometimes you deliver it right. Ephesians 4.29, sometimes you deliver it wrong. Isn't it a proven fact if you deliver it right, it always works and they do exactly what you say? (laughs) No. So here Paul is, he's delivering it right, right? We're all going to live, guys. Let's all get on board. Just do the little thing I say don't be afraid. We're going to crash into an island. So here they are. Okay, we're getting close to an island. Let's put the anchors down so we don't go there. Let's put the anchors down. So they hurt, they, they they're selling and they're putting soundings down. We're at 120 feet, we're at 90 feet, we're making progress in the right direction. How many people have you spoken correctly to, and they're making the right direction? It's like a symphony playing. It's like, oh, this is gonna be so fun. We're all gonna live happily ever after. And the adversary of their soul is not done. He's not giving up that easy. It's like a dog running free in the field, but it didn't take its chain off. And it gets to the end of it. So many times that's what it is. It's like that shallow soil where it springs up, but it has no depth. We're running free, but we didn't deal with the chains. So they're going right to freedom. They're going right to deliverance. They're going right to happily ever after. And then they willingly drop those old anchors. Drop those places of security. Adversaries in their mind, do you really want to try it God's way? It seems risky. You know that anchor. That anchor's been there a long time. That anchor is part of your identity. That anchor matches the boat. That anchor is attached to you and it's made to help you stay safe. Just let your anchor down. It will be a lot better than the unknown with Him. The adversary convinces us that the known with Him is better than the unknown with God. It stinks, it's terrible, the fruit of it is awful I don't like it, I don't like my marriage, I don't like my home I don't like my family, I don't like my job I don't like anything about the life I live, I don't like who I am I don't like how I get angry, I don't like how I do this I don't like how every slight offends me and I get upset I don't like all these things I'm just talking about me now, I don't know what y'all's issues are Been there, done that I went to a quest a few years ago because all those things I just said were pretty much my reality. And the Lord showed me on five days of just seclusion with Him on a day I was fasting and praying, not because I'm super spiritual. That's what they told us to do. And they put us out in the field and didn't let us eat. But the Lord started showing me, not in this terminology, but today it goes with this terminology. But he started showing me my anchors. My anchor of lack of trust. And I'm trying to sail this boat into the seas of uncharted water, of church planting, and be super spiritual, and have a bunch of kids, and these things that take faith to do. And I'm anchored to unbelief. I even argue with God when He showed me that anchor. I'm like, God, if, if anybody believes you, I believe you. Look at all the things I'm doing. You could not do these things without believing me. And He goes, ding, ding, ding. Exactly. If you weren't doing all those things, you wouldn't be as miserable. If you just quit doing all those things, you'd be fine. And you could live without believing me. But if you're going to try to do things that take faith, you better have faith. Or you're going to be more miserable than the people that are there doing nothing. That's a mouthful, but think about it. Show me my anchor of unbelief. You don't trust me. You get frustrated, you get angry because you don't trust me. You feel slighted because you don't trust me. You find your fulfillment in what you do and not who you are. You don't trust me. So they put down anchors. Let's just stay here because what we know is safer than what we don't know. even though the Lord said you must crash into an island. A boat ride with a believer sometimes runs aground into an island of the unknown. Let me back up and say that again. Don't quote me on that. All the time on a boat ride with a believer You end up running aground on an island of the unknown. (laughs) And the unknown island that you run into is the island of promise. (laughs) And the anchors that you're anchored to are holding you just outside of the place of promise that God's calling you to run ashore on. Some sailors pretended to go down and drop anchors from the bow when in fact they wanted to lower the lifeboat into the sea and escape, abandoning ship. Paul said to the Roman officer and his soldiers, unless you all stay together on board the ship, you have no chance of surviving. At the moment they heard this, the soldiers cut the ropes of the dinghy and it fell away. Wow, they start listening to the prisoner. (laughs) If you let them guys get on that boat, we're all going to die. Oh, what do you say? What did that guy say? What's that guy who said, what did the guy say who isn't afraid to say he was wrong? If you want credibility with people, you can't be afraid to say you're wrong. After you're not afraid to say you're wrong, they'll start listening to you when you say cut the rope. But if we always got to be right, then people are going to tune us out. Like the professor in Charlie Brown. Romans at uh, Romans, yeah, Romans. Thirteen? No, not Romans. Help me. Where am I at? First Corinthians thirteen says it like this: You're a banging, what is it, clanging, banging, clanging symbol. Because love will cause you to repent when you're wrong. And without that you just become a clanging symbol, and you're not doing anybody any good. Well the truth is the truth. If they don't listen it's their problem. That is not anywhere accurate. The truth is the truth and it's your responsibility to deliver it in a way that they're compelled to believe it. So they cut the rope. Just before daybreak, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, today makes two full weeks that you've been in fearful peril and hunger, unable to eat a thing. Now eat and be nourished, for you'll you'll all come through this ordeal without a scratch. Then Paul took bread and gave thanks to God in front of them, broke it, and began to eat. There were 276 people who ate until they were filled and were strengthened and encouraged. After they were satisfied, they threw grain into the sea to lighten the ship. <clears throat> this just left out it to me this week. We're living in a time, and it ain't just been two weeks, but people have been living in an extended season of peril and fear. And what they need is some believers in boats. To feed them and nourish them and make them satisfied. What did it say they were? Strengthened and encouraged. Wait, wait. Were these 276 people still trusting in their anchor and not being obedient to the word? you mean we should actually nourish and strengthen people even when they're not doing it the way they're supposed to be doing it? Won't that mess things up? Won't that embolden them in their disobedience? The goodness of God draws men to repentance. We are His hands extended. We nourish and encourage and strengthen them and tell them they're not going to die. I see your anchor. That's okay. The word of the Lord says you're coming out. The word of the Lord says you're going to be free. The word of the Lord says you're going to be everything He created you and made you to be, despite how many times you put your faith back in those old anchors. Let me give you some bread to chew on. Let me give you some word to consume. Let me give you some strengthening and some encouragement to stir up the gift within you. Woo! Because I'm praying and believing that by this time tomorrow you're going to need all that strength and encouragement because God's going to turn this thing up a notch. And you're going to be in the valley of decision. And you're going to be holding a knife in your hand trying to decide whether or not to cut that rope on that anchor or not. And I want to make sure when you come to that moment, you're full of encouragement and strength to make the right decision. What do we do while we're waiting on people to do what's right? Encourage them and strengthen them. When daylight came, the sailors didn't recognize the land, but they noticed a cove with a sandy beach. So they decided to run the ship ashore. Ashore, ashore, (laughs) ashore. I feel like I heard something about we're supposed to go on shore. (laughs) Listen. If you're so frustrated that people finally get it and go on shore and are free, and you're still frustrated that they didn't do it when you told them to, your motivation was all jacked up. I don't care if they do it when I tell them. I don't care if they do it when their mama tells them, if when their daddy tells them. I don't care when they do it or how they do it. I don't care who gets the credit and who gets the glory. We should love people, and we should want to see people make it and be free and be alive and be whole. So they decided... Well man I don't want people to decide on their own. I want them to say Michael told me to and so I obeyed. If they do it because you told them to then you ain't going to always be there to tell them to. And so when they're by themselves they ain't going to do it that way. So it's 10 times better 100% better, altogether better when they come to their senses between them and the Holy Spirit. And you were just a voice that extended grace, nourishment, and encouragement to them. But the Holy Spirit is the one that helped them make the right choice. So they decided without any help from Paul I got this. Hey Paul I think we're going to go on that shore over there. I just see Paul. It's a great idea. Wish I would thought of that. They cut away the anchors. The (laughs) invitation. Let me just (laughs) swallow all that. I got too excited about that point. (laughs) They cut away the anchors leaving them in the sea. Just reminded me of Pharaoh and all of his mighty men on chariots and horses, chasing the Egyptians through the Red Sea. And the Red Sea engulfed them and covered them. And he knocked them off their horses. And he made the wheels come off the chariots. And he swallowed them up in the sea. Today, I say those old anchors that have been holding you away from the island of promise are being cut free and left in the sea. You are free in Jesus' name. They didn't just cut the orders, but they, the anchors, and left them in the sea, but they untied the ropes holding the rudders and hoisted the foresail to the breeze to head for the beach. It's time. The rudders are what you steer with. It's time to cut loose from all of the anchors. Let us not be entangled with the sin and the distractions that so easily entangled us, right? And let us take our hands off the wheel of control and manipulation. And let's just put up a sail and let's let the breath of God take us where he wants to take us. As long as you're using the anchors of your own understanding and the rudders of your manipulation and control, you'll never end up at the island of promise that He prepared for you. The only way to get there is to take your hands off, cut the anchors off, and ride. Let Him be the breeze that takes you to the beach. But they drifted into the rocky shoals between two depths of the sea, causing the ship to flounder still at a distance from shore. The bow was stuck fast, jammed on the rocks while the stern was being smashed by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers wanting to kill all the prisoners to prevent them from escaping, but the Roman officer was determined to bring Paul safely through. What happened here? Paul's the man now. Paul's who we listen to. We're going to do everything to save Paul. Paul has found favor. So he foiled their attempts. He commanded the prisoners and crew who could swim to jump overboard and swim ashore. The rest all managed to survive by clinging to planks and broken pieces of the ship. Listen to this. So that everyone scrambled to the shore uninjured. Nobody was lost. Not only does God want to get you to the island of promise, but he wants everybody on your boat to make it there. I want everybody on my boat to make it there. I want everybody that I have the slightest amount of influence over their life to make it to the island of promise. Don't you? I'm ready to cut my anchors. My comfortable, steady, secure anchors. And I'm ready to loosen the ropes on the rudder. You know what I think is cool? They loosen the ropes on the rudder. If I understand correctly, the ropes are tied to the like wheel. So like, even if they wanted to go back to the wheel, they've broken the system between the wheel and the rudder. Yeah. <laughs> so it's more than just saying they let go of the wheel. They, they um, disengaged. They disconnected the wheel. That's real surrender. You guys stand with me today as we go. Believe it or not, that story gets even better. Cliff notes, Paul lands on the island. Oh, shoot, I forgot the name. And I closed my nose. Malta, Malta, Malta. Paul lands on the island of Malta. Builds a fire. Venomous snake bites him on the hand. He remembered... You know it's cool because scripture wasn't written yet Mark 16 wasn't written yet so can I I can just imagine Peter like telling him that part Hey man one day Jesus told us that we could pick up deadly serpents and they wouldn't even hurt us So faith in the word caused them to act in obedience Sometimes we go into our room for three days when we get bit by a snake instead of slinging it in the fire because he said it wouldn't hurt us Sling[s] it in the fire. The people think, "Oh man, he's getting what he deserved." He, say he somehow survived the shipwreck, but fate has happened, or uh, what's it called? Karma has happened. He's got bit by a venomous snake, and then it didn't do anything. He must be a god. You see how they go from superstition to superstition. <laughs> Paul ends up staying with them for a while. It doesn't tell us what happens as far as all their beliefs, but I got a feeling. They came out of superstition and put their faith in the one true God. The guy who was over the whole island, father was sick with fever and dysentery. Paul goes in and heals the father. They're so amazed they bring all the sick in the entire island and Paul heals them all. The island of promise Sometimes the promise ain't perfect till the believer gets there. Huh? There's still giants in your promise till you get there. (laughs) Oh man, that island's got fever and dysentery. Watch this. Hold on. This is, this is, hold on. Wait a minute. We'll take care of that. We can't let our circumstances dictate Our life, we let our life dictate our circumstances, we let our truth. Lord, we love you. Can we just as a symbol of sacrifice today, just lift our hands? Just this is you taking the hands off the rudder, off the wheel. Maybe this is your ta- you taking your hands off that wayward son and that wayward daughter that you've constantly tried to browbeat into the right path. And today, the day the Lord is saying, take your hands off of them. You've done enough damage. Encourage them and strengthen them, and let me do the work. Now, while your hands are in the air, I just see, this is crazy. But the kids play this game called Ninja. I think it's called Ninja. And they try to smack the person beside them with one move. We're not going to smack the person beside us. But while your hands are in the air, can you just see an anchor right now? Can you just see an anchor? Holy Spirit, will you reveal an anchor right now? That's anchoring your people away from the island of promise. And can you just take one of your hands right now, just in one foul swoop, and just whack, cut an anchor? Can you just cut an anchor? Torment, cut an anchor. Infirmity, cut an anchor. Barbara Yago, I just cut the anchor of those many strokes right now. That will not be your portion. Health and wholeness will be your portion. You are a woman of God. Your days will be beautiful and sweet. You will not be plagued and tormented by those TIA strokes right now. In Jesus' name, be healed and be whole. I cut the anchor of those many strokes off your life. this breaks the uh somebody right now addiction is coming off your life right now just break it right now you're addicted to something right now I cut that anchor of addiction it will not define me it will not hold me I cut it in Jesus name anchor of addiction be severed in Jesus name the breeze right now the breeze is already hitting the sail it's pulling you into promise right now you feel the tug of that anchor but what God is pulling you into is greater than what's holding you and right now for the first time maybe you're seeing the future and the promise as greater than the past and I just dare you right now to go with the breath of God and cut off that anchor think this will violate social distancing orders. You don't have to touch anybody to do this, but maybe somebody feels led just to go over to somebody and just cut an anchor for them. Maybe you feel led. Come on, just be led by the Holy Spirit. Hear the word of the Lord. Just go over and cut the anchor off somebody right now. The Lord says you are free. The Lord says that anchor has been severed off of your life. Our trust in you through shipwreck, through prison, through detainment, through detours, through sidetracks, through mistakes and delays. We believe today and receive today that we're still on course for promise. We hear the word of the Lord today calling us to promise. And nothing is going to hold us back. Breath of God, we thank you for breathing on us. In Acts chapter 2, they heard a sound as a mighty rushing wind. That mighty rushing wind is blowing you right now into the island of promise and fulfillment. God, I pray that you would just break the ropes off some acres. I pray that you would blow so hard that it would just snap some ropes off some acres. In Jesus' name. Can we just intercede for just a moment for co-workers and family and sons and daughters right now we just take a moment to be the church to be a house of prayer we offer up intercession right now for every person every man every woman every boy every girl that's been anchored to something that's holding them out of the promise that you've destined them for But we ask that they would come to their senses like the prodigal son in the pig pen, like all the 276 on the boat with Paul. We ask that they would come to their senses. We ask that right now, Holy Spirit, breath of God, would you just invade their room, invade their area, invade their atmosphere, give them a redemptive revelation of God. Let them see the promise that you have for them and let them come to their own decision. I am going to shore we call them home we call them free we call it done in Jesus name thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Redemption Life